This podcast and others are brought to you by EverythingVoluntary.com. My name is Skylar Collins, and this is Thinking and Doing. In this podcast, I examine logical fallacy, cognitive bias, stoic teachings from masters past and present, and tips on being better at life. I hope it will be as instructive to you as it is to me in the pursuit of thinking and doing well. Hello and welcome to the podcast. In this episode, we're going to look at a couple of stoic teachings. We'll start with an entry uh, from August 22nd in the Daily Stoic by Holiday and Hanselman. And then I have kind of an interesting look at something that is core to Stoicism over at the Stoicism subreddit. Okay, so let's start with this Daily Stoic. It begins with a quote by Marcus Aurelius from Meditations 4.32b. He wrote, It is essential for you to remember that the attention you give to any action should be in due proportion to its worth for then you won't tire and give up if you aren't busying yourself with lesser things beyond what should be allowed. All right, that's kind of interesting. It is essential for you to remember that the attention you give to any action should be in due proportion to its worth. So if it's a small matter, it probably shouldn't take up too much of your time, too much of your attention to address it. The The thought that's that's bouncing around in my mind right now is maybe a bit of a pushback on this. And that is the idea that what it, what may be a small matter for me as a 36-year-old adult may be a really large matter for my 5-year-old child, right? This is, this, is, this is one of the ideas that is sometimes talked about in the type of uh, parenting uh, philosophies that, I'm, that I live by. And it's the idea that, that something might seem really small and unimportant to us as the parent, as the adult, but if a child is really upset about it, then in their much smaller world, it's amplified, right? And, and we should keep that in mind. Rather than trying to tell them it's not important, it's no big deal, relax, calm down, which is probably a type of disrespect to, to what they're experiencing right now. I think that the uh, stoic thing to do would would be to help them feel what they're feeling, right? Give them some time to experience the emotions and to sit back and listen about their troubles they're having and the ways that they can communicate it. Really let them vent and get it out. And then through doing that, they get experience with emotions, which I think will better help them to understand them in the future and not allow them to be controlled by them, not allow themselves to be controlled by their emotions. But it also sort of has this effect of bringing them up to your perspective uh, quite organically to, to now where they're perched on your shoulder, as it were. They can see the problem not, not only through their own eyes, but through your eyes and through your wisdom and guidance and mentorship they can solve the problem uh, with you as partner. 
the alternative to that is, of course, to to, sh- to scorn them and shame them for experiencing what are quite natural, uh, naturally big emotions, and in a in a in a way influencing them to repress those emotions. That that is not a good situation, in my opinion. I think I think that uh, I think that that kids will better learn to do what Marcus Aurelius is talking about here about getting having a better idea of what is um, what are large matters versus small matters and then learning not to give so much um, weight right so much emotional investment into things that are small matters I think by ex- uh, being allowed to experience things as they naturally arise, as a child and an adolescent, and then as an adult, I think we're better prepared for that. All right. Well, let's um, let's read the commentary by the editors here. They write in 1997, a psychotherapist named Richard Carlson published a book called "Don't Sweat the Small Stuff," and it's all small stuff. It quickly became one of the fastest selling books of all time and spent years on the bestseller lists, ultimately selling millions of copies in many languages. Whether you read the book or not, Carlson's pithy articulation of this timeless idea is worth remembering. Even Cornelius Fronto, Marcus Aurelius' Marcus Aurelius's rhetoric teacher, would have thought it a superior way of expressing the wisdom his student attempted in the quote above. They both say the same thing. Don't spend your time, which is the most valuable and least renewable of all your resources, on the things that don't matter. What about the things that don't matter, but you're absolutely obligated to? Well, spend as little time and worry on them as possible. If you give things more time and energy than they deserve, they're no longer lesser things. You've made them important by the life you've spent on them. And sadly, you've made the important things, your family, your health, your true commitments, less so as a result of what you've stolen from them. Okay, so this is this is the other, the other kind of thing bouncing around in my head as I read this. I guess maybe there's a couple... I can't quite grasp the second, but the first thing is this, this question of how do we know? How do we know what's small stuff and what's large stuff? How do we know what's a greater thing and what's a lesser thing? Now, in the opinion of, of who, the people who wrote this, the greater things are your family, your health, um, your family and your health. <laughs> you know, is that, is that the pinnacle? Is that the top of the, uh, the scale of important things? Your your health. I I think that one of the most important things in order for us to to find true contentment and happiness in life is our our health, at least our mental health. Physical health, I think we can get away with quite a bit, right? I think you can be physically unhealthy and still really content and happy and at peace in life. I think mental health is probably the top of that scale. And family has a lot to do with that. Tending to our families can improve our mental health, but not always. Sometimes our mental health needs more than that. So how do, how do we decide? Well, I, I guess each of us need to decide for ourselves. Each of us need to look at, look at our lives, look at what's important, look at our values, look at our principles, figure out what it is we can do to find satisfaction with uh with our circumstances with who we are with where we are with when we are i don't think that it i don't think that's for anybody else to decide right i can i can tell you what's important to me 
and that can influence you, but it's up to you. It really is. You've got to figure that out, right? You can, you can go on a quest and you can, you know, you can find uh, the sages of the world and ask them what they think, but they're only going to give you their opinion. They're only going to give, they're only going to give you what's important to them. And maybe that will be important to you, but maybe not. I guess it's up to us to decide what's the small stuff and what's the large stuff. And if we, uh, you know, and maybe that's a trial and error. Maybe we think something might be maybe bigger than it is, but at the end, maybe we've made a mountain out of a molehill. So let's keep that in mind. Let's keep in mind as we are going through something, as we are giving something our attention and our, our time and our efforts, our sweat, blood, and tears sometimes, let's not allow that investment to fool us into thinking what we've what we've invested in is so important because you may get you may get somewhere in that journey and you may learn something about what it is you're pursuing and it and it may not be what you expected it may be this isn't as big a deal as you thought and you've 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 invested so much in it that you could ignore that those um red flags if you will so be careful not to do that all right let's Let's go to the next thing here. All right. This is from user Eric Hennigan on the Stoicism subreddit. It's from a few days ago. He, it's uh, about five paragraphs here, so I'm going to read through it. I, I think I've just kind of uh, skimmed it, and I think it seems really interesting, which is why I chose this. But he titles it, Take Responsibility for Things Not Under My Control. He writes, I was thinking about Epictetus's reminder that some things are under our control and others not. If we push this idea really hard, there are many things that I might naively consider under my control, but which, when examined more closely, are not. For example, thoughts randomly bubble into my mind and I do not control that. Emotions can overwhelm my rational faculties, causing me a temporary insanity. Many external factors control the direction of my life. The simple, naive, lowercase, stoic advice seems to recommend that I not try to control things which I cannot. I think this interpretation would be a disastrous mistake. Instead, we should have a more nuanced view, one that's present in the capital stoic literature. I should attempt to exert influence where I'm able, but then accept the outcome regardless of success or failure. Like a stoic archer, I should expend my time and effort to practice my aim and maintain control of the arrow up until it leaves the bow, exerting influence over where it flies but accepting wherever it lands as the outcome that I did not completely control. Through many trials I gain in competence, my influence becomes stronger, but I never fully control the result. To interpret my lack of control as an excuse to never try and influence the outcome would rob me of a personal growth opportunity. The list of things that I do not control started small and even shrank once I started paying attention. If my goal were to free myself of responsibility, it would quickly shrink to nothing. In contrast, practicing influence even, or especially over the things which I do not control, over my emotions, my thoughts, my life trajectory, is a path to personal growth. For example, a path to leadership. I cannot control others, but I can inspire them with my own actions and words. How attached should I be to the outcome when I try to influence what I don't control? The observations above answer consistently. Rationally attached so you can better your aim, but not emotionally attached so that disappointment or euphoria overwhelms the rational faculty. The practice itself is both means and ends. It's critical for learning the emotional stability that enables further personal growth. 
We start where we can maintain that balance and via slow and watchful practice, expand our ability to things we previously could not. So the Stoic road isn't don't try to control things you cannot, with an ever-growing list of things to give up on when they don't work and a shrinking of one's willingness to try. Instead, the Stoic road is try to influence things you don't control with an ever-expanding sphere of influence and a growing of your abilities and willingness to try. Okay, this... This, I think, is – this provides really good balance, right? I, this, is, this is definitely something that should be well-nested in any conversation about sphere of control. Okay, this is, this is one of those central or those core Stoic teachings is to mind, to understand, to examine our sphere of control. But I guess the question is why why should we do that? There's there's probably many answers to that. And I think I think it's it comes around to whether or not we're going to allow ourselves to fall apart when things don't work out the way we hoped that they would. Okay, that's when your emotions are controlling you and not you controlling your emotions. So, I like I like what he writes here. I like that he writes we can influence things outside of our control our sphere of control. Okay, we can we can control our, you know, operating within our sphere of control, which is just a, a natural physical limitation, right? My voice is within my sphere of control, and I can use that voice in an attempt to influence things, people, others that are outside of my sphere of control. And it and it is possible. I know it's possible because I've done it. Okay, I've I've written things before and I've said things and I later learned that they influenced somebody to change their behavior. I guess that was my hope, right? When I sit down and I record my podcasts, I hope that others will hear it. I don't do a lot to, you know, to promote it and try to get it in front of people. You know, it's mostly a I don't advertise it or anything like that. It's mostly word of mouth, you know, when I tell people I have a podcast or two. Or, you know, people who listen maybe share it, which if you if you like it, please share it. <laughs> but all I can do is say that, right? All I can do is ask you, if you like this podcast, you know, please tell other people about it. And maybe you will, maybe you won't. I'm not going to emotionally invest in either possibility. I'm also reminded about something else. I have a friend who founded and runs a political think tank here in Utah. And he he and I align very well, very closely as far as uh, politics and our political philosophy. On the one hand, my politics put my philosophy um how do I want to put this? I try to be realist when it comes to exactly how much I personally can do when it comes to the ballot box, when it comes to the, the practice of voting for, for candidates or for referendums or for whatever, for, for local office, state office, national office. And I am of the opinion that for me personally, because my vote has a virtually zero chance of affecting the outcome, it's mostly a waste of time for me to do that. Okay, I don't I don't think that voting is influential at all. And I think to some degree my friend agrees with that. So, if I'm not 
politically active in that way. Um, and I have a friend who kind of sees things similar to that way. I don't want to speak for him, but this is what I understand. Then why is he running a political think tank? Well, me going to a ballot box and submitting a vote for all the different elections on election day has a certain extremely vir limited, virtually non-existent effect on the outcome. What my friend does with his think tank has a vastly greater, a vastly greater uh, degree of influence on outcomes. What he does is he puts together legislation and he works directly with state legislatures, legislators, to craft that legislation in a way that it is more or less likely, well, more likely to pass, right, to get through so that he can, in his opinion and in my opinion, improve things in the direction of uh, liberty and responsibility and autonomy and civil rights and so forth here in the state of Utah. He has, uh, doing things that way, I have seen how he's, a, he's, the same, he's the same kind of person I am. He has the same uh, sphere of control like we all do, but he's influencing to a much greater degree than I am in certain political directions. And I've seen that. Okay, I've seen the legislation that they've been able to get through and pass. Most of it's pretty good. Most most of it is what I would call progress uh, towards uh, protecting the values that we we share, that we hold together. But it, it doesn't, you know, when things don't quite work out on a particular piece of legislation, when it doesn't pass, he's not he's not so invested to that. He he understands. He he properly sets his expectation that we do the best we can. But at some point, it's out of our control. Okay, and if it if it passes, great, we'll celebrate it. If it doesn't, we'll get back to work. We'll we'll correct it. We'll fix it. We'll we'll get feedback from people who didn't like it, and maybe we can make it better so the next year it does pass. So I've always kind of been fascinated by by him and his work. I have found it to be a worthy cause for you know my hard earned money. I've donated to him. And I've bought his product, which, you know, helps him profit. And, I, and I've seen what this guy, uh, Eric Hennigan here on, on, on Reddit, is talking about, right? All we can, we, you know, we got to understand sphere of control. It's important to understand that as a, as, a, as a core stoic principle. But we've got to also understand that we can influence people outside of that sphere. We can have an influence. So... What are we doing about that? Now, this is not to say that if we aren't doing something about it, that, you know, we should be ashamed or we're a bad person or anything like that. It's not. There is no judgment here from my part. Just the understanding that we can use our voices in more or less very effective ways to influence other people in their behaviors, right? To influence what they do, how they do it, um, the types of institutions we live under, the laws that, you know, are forced upon us and so forth. So I, I like this. I think that this was really good. Okay. Um, I think that'll do it. Let's just small review. Don't sweat the small stuff. And it's all small stuff. <laughs> We've got to figure that out. You know, this guy, Richard Carlson, the psychotherapist who wrote that book, maybe has some, some really good points to make. I'll have to check that out. But what's small stuff? What's big stuff? You know, I don't think we we should allow other people to decide that for us. I think we should decide that on our own. But we can we can allow ourselves to be influenced by them. And, you know, that takes us to the second thing we talked about. 
this guy wrote a book and published it, and it's obviously influenced a lot of people, millions of people. He operated within his sphere of control. He wrote a book, and he influenced millions. And that happens all the time, right? People do that. They write books, and they, they're popular. Take somebody like, uh, oh my gosh, I had her name, and it just slipped, um, J.K. JK Rowling, the Harry Potter author. Right, She obviously didn't do anything outside of her sphere of control because none of us can do that. We're all naturally limited that way. But her books have influenced millions and millions, maybe maybe a billion when you consider worldwide sales. They certainly influenced me. I very much enjoyed the books. The movies were okay too, right? But, but it is possible. Okay, and There's a lot of authors right now writing books and probably really hope that they could have a bestseller, they could make a bestseller, and most of them, most of them won't. Should that stop us from trying? Well, why are you trying? Are you doing it for you? Or are you doing it to get rich? Okay, where what are your motivations? If you're doing it for you, and it's nice if it kind of blows up, and maybe it's not right. Personally, I I wouldn't want fame. I think that would probably kill me. Okay, all right. I think you get the idea. All right, that's going to do it. Thank you so much for listening, and have a better day. Please send your comments or questions to thinkinganddoingpodcast at gmail.com. If you like this episode, please subscribe to Everything Voluntary, a podcast where I promote respect for the voluntary principle in all walks of life and for all age groups. If you'd like to kick back a small commission from every Amazon purchase you make at no extra cost to you, please use and bookmark our special link at amazonevc.com. That's amazonevc.com. You can rate and review this podcast in your podcast app, and please share it with everyone you know. Please consider supporting this podcast and everythingvoluntary.com by setting up an automatic monthly donation at patreon.com forward slash EVC. One-time donations are also accepted at paypal.me forward slash everythingvoluntary.com.